Welcome to episode 17 of She Brews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast where we hope to discuss all things homebrewing and fermenting. Today we're talking about Tubishvat. I'm your host, Evan Harris, and with me today is my co-host, Allison Shea. Hey there, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. Mo- getting uh, ready to move a bunch of stuff. What about yourself? I am preparing for a power outage, as has been mentioned previously. I live in North Carolina where we are currently dealing with a winter storm. We've had a lot of ice, a lot of snow, or at least relatively for here. And since the power lines are, they're not buried here, we are fully expecting some power outages. I know some people here have already lost power. I haven't, but hoping for the best, eating and drinking toasty warm things in preparation. Um, Hopefully the power stays on, but always be prepared and be safe as more important than anything else. Yep. So, for what I'm drinking today, it is a big mug of hot chocolate. Ah, and that you? That sounds great. My, my, my sister and her fiancé were doing a lot of hot uh, chocolate and the Mexican hot chocolate over the last few weeks. Because they are correct. Yes. Have you had the Mexican hot cocoa? I have had Mexican hot cocoa and it is good. I do not have much because my pancreas, but it is good. Good. No, this is, my roommate got some white hot chocolate, which is not great, so I added a whole load of chocolate chips in there to, like, give it some actual chocolate. (laughs) And it's pretty good this way. Interesting. A little too watery. Yeah, because white hot chocolate just sounds like uh, warm fat. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's pretty bland. Hence, all of the chocolate I added. Yeah. If you hear me eating, I made in my pressure cooker a batch of pumpkin risotto, and I topped it with some goat cheese, and it is delicious. It sounds good. Mm-hmm. It looks good from what I can see as well. I'm giving Evan the recipe to go in the show notes. That that will go in, and I'm sure, I'm sure I will, my family at least will want to make it. It's really good. I added a bay leaf. Ooh, that's always good for anything stewed like a risotto. Mm-hmm. Super easy. Would recommend. Mm-hmm. So, other things going on tonight. Um, if you're not in a place like I am, where there is a ton of snow and ice outside. I just started snowing again. So, the hail stopped for a little while, at least. Tonight, the night that we are recording, is the beginning of Tubi Shvat. It is the 15th of the month of Shvat. And also, we've mentioned previously that there are a number of different New Year's throughout the Jewish calendar, and this one is the New Year for trees. And if you are in a place like the Levant, or Israel more specifically, now would be when you would be preparing for planting season. Mm-hmm. Again, not here <laughs> for either one of us. No, none of the places I have been recently. Yeah, but for an agricultural society, this is huge. This is an important part of your year. You are celebrating making your way through the winter and celebrating the year to come, making sure you've got everything ready. So there's a bunch of Some of the trees in the Levant would be starting to bloom. Apparently, the almond trees bloom very early, according to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, or before recording, the new podcast Chutzpod from Joshua Molina. Yeah, so there's lots of like traditions to do with uh, with trees. In addition to uh, to a traditional seder, 
Um, Seder literally means order, but pretty much just a dinner with some fancy aspects to it. So you do that. And also people often plant trees or dedicate trees today. You'll see it sometimes on calendars listed as Jewish Arbor Day. And I mean, I I guess it's a cute name in English. I don't think it fully encapsulates what it is, but it's a great day if you wanted to plant a tree or you wanted to dedicate a tree or donate to, I don't know, forest regrowth. Mm-hmm. Today yeah. is a really nice day to do that. Yeah, don't plant a tree today in either of the places we are. No. Again, this is a, it is dependent on the weather, but part of the reason that we have a new year for trees is that in the Tanakh, there are instructions about when you can take fruit from a tree and how many years the tree has to be old the year ha- the tree has to be. So instead of recording every tree's birthday or when it was planted, you say all trees are this. So if you planted a tree yesterday as of recording, it is one today. Yeah. And it's like with racehorses. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Every purebred, thoroughbred, one of the two. Thoroughbred for racehorses. Dog, dogs are purebred, racehorses are thoroughbreds. Okay. Well, okay. But anyways, any thoroughbred horse shares the same birthday. I don't remember what the same birthday is. It's actually not quite the same. There are two because it's based on the hemisphere. Horses in the northern hemisphere. Horses in the northern hemisphere are all November 1st. Horses in the southern hemisphere are all April 1st. Well, same shtick. I mean, whatever hemisphere you're in, I guess. Happy birthday to your horse. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But... This is in the Jewish calendar, the horse birthday for trees. Also, TikToker that I found, uh, that I have come across a couple times, Jews who love trees. I think I've seen him on Instagram. Tobin Michnik. I think it's great. I I think I saw him resurrecting a bonsai on Instagram. Yeah, he has a bonsai garden. Bonsai. Instagram sometimes thinks I'm interested in bonsai, which it is sometimes accurate about. Right. In right. My, my family is a little bit nervous about <laughs> about the storm. I'm like, I'll be fine, guys. I got I got batteries. I got plenty of food. You Actually, have a cat. I have cat who. Oh my god! If I if the power goes out and I end up swaddling him, <laughs> Evan's sister had to swaddle their their late kitty a couple yeah. years ago, and oh boy. It was so cute. so cute. There is a there are several amazing subreddits for cats like that. One of them is Tucked In Kitties. My favorite has to be Perito. Oh my god, I love it. I will try and link to both of those in the show notes because they're just too cute. Yeah, Lou will not be super happy about it, but I gotta keep the boy warm. Yep. Okay, back to Tubishvat. Got your there for cats. Yes. Anyways, so the dinner thing. We covered the plant a tree. Also, I guess it would be a nice time if you've got seeds or something, you can start planting it indoors. Yeah, if you have the capabilities, this would be a good time to start seeding a lot of fruits and a lot of trees, in fact. Uh, I think it might be too early for peppers and tomatoes, depending on when your last frost is. But for a fruit tree, now would be a good time if you've been cold stratifying the, the seeds to uh, start bringing them out. 
Well, just to be clear, where I live, this is probably our only frost of the winter. That that is true. <laughs> I, I'm thinking for the Midwest and mountain and mountainous zones that I've lived in recently. Yeah. Anyways, to be shot Seder. <laughs> okay, we will get eventually from point A to point B, even if we have to go through point C through Z to get there. <laughs> Classic. And Al- C through Z, Alpha through Omega. Mm-hmm. Are we doing Alpha through Omega, or are we doing A A A B? Oh, I would go. I would go. You have to go through at least Greek and Hebrew letters and Cyrillic, and then you go back to double letters. Okay, you can do that. Anyways, like I was saying before, two bishvat seders, basically a dinner. There's. I don't know. Everybody seems to have different ways of doing it. I've I've been to a couple that were a little bit different, but the two big things that I've I've seen as the similarities were you have four like at the Passover Seder, you do four glasses of wine or grape juice. Don't have to be big. They're usually pretty small. Um, if you are a wine connoisseur, cover your ears here because you start with red or wait. So you do it like various shades. It's like getting to darker shades of red. So you start with white. Then you do white with a little bit of red added to it. Then you do red with some white in it. And then you do full red. And this represents the changing of the seasons. So white for winter, white with red for spring, red with some white for late for like late spring slash summer, and then red for like the heat of the summer and harvest time. And you just kind of, you go through these as a representation of the year according to the trees, (laughs) which is kind of cute. I think there are are other divisions that I've heard of. There are some mystical divisions that I'm not really familiar with. Something about like the relationship between people and and the earth or the land. The the Um, Tubi Shvat Seder is actually a relatively new invention in Judaism, dating back to the 16th century of the Common Era. Yeah. So 500 years or so. And it was uh, invented actually by uh, Rabbi uh, Luria of Svat. Or Svat. Yeah, Svat. Svat. And Svat is a very spiritual place. Some people love it there. It's it's like in the mountains and it's it's very airy. Like the air is different there. It's, it's an unusual place. And if you get the chance to visit, I'd recommend it. But maybe not stay there for too long. <laughs> There's it, a lot of art and mysticism there. Um, it is. A, there's like an artist colony and a lot of mystics. I had really good schnitzel last time I was there, though. I went to an artist's gallery and then got lost in a market. And we saw some little ancient synagogues. It's a, it's an old city. It's a very yeah. old city. Spot's an ancient city. It, it's yeah. It's one of the ancient cities of of like. The it's land one of, of the Israel. ancient cities of Judaism, and it is one of the holier sites in Judaism. Yes. Of course, Jerusalem being the holiest, but... Yeah. But it is, like... It's just an unusual place. I don't really know how to describe it. Yes, and and why and some people call it Safed, and there's about 12 different ways to spell the name. In, mm-hmm. in Latin letters, the most common in the title of Wikipedia is S-A-F-E-D. Sfat. Yeah. But, unusual place, 
Definitely an interesting place to check out. I feel like it's a place where people either love, love, love being there or are like, this is interesting, but kind of weird. And I'm the second one. I know a lot of people who are the first. I feel like I like the area around Svat more because it's mountainous and very pretty. Yeah, it is very um, beautiful. And I feel like I could spend every time I've been to Israel, like a half day in Svat seems like the right amount of time. Yeah. Enough to go look at a few new art galleries and that's it. Yeah. But if you love it, then like people, it's it's a place where people up and just move there because they just love the place so much. Yeah, I'm pretty sure one of the rabbis I had uh, growing up spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Like in Jewish day school. So, again, would recommend checking it out if you haven't mm-hmm. before. Rabbi Luria Svat is a big, he, he's a big name in Judaism in the 16th yes. century. Although his full name, and I always forget this, I just left them the link on Wikipedia to make sure what it, I had it right. His full name is Rabbi Isaac Ben Solomon Luria Ashkenazi. Yeah. Is he actually Ashkenazi? I doubt he's actually Ashkenazi. Fun fact, most of the time when you meet somebody with the last name Ashkenazi, they are Sephardi. I don't know if that's the case here, but it's So I think very a lot dumb. of the people who are in with the last name Ashkenazi were some... It's weird because effectively until the 1200s or so of the Common Era, you really... The separation was more just where you happened to be living, yeah. not uh, actual. And then, due to the Rhineland massacres pushing Jews further, pushing the Jews that became Ashkenazi further east, I think some of the people who escaped the Rhineland massacres went back to the Ottoman Empire, which controlled, of course, what was then known as the province of Syria Palestina, we would call Israel in the Levant. Um, Excuse me. So, I think those refugees. Because, again, there wasn't the hard distinction between Sephardi and Ashkenazi at the time. I think those refugees frequently picked up the name Ashkenazi because they had come directly from Ashkenaz, being the Rhineland and Alsace-Lorraine in Europe, back to the Ottoman Empire. And therefore, but when there was a more formal, as it were, it's not really formal, honestly, split between the two or three. There there are differences. Yeah, the big, I mean, I, I've met some people who had the last name Ashkenazi who are very specifically like, no, I am I am most definitely Sparty. That is my understanding of the origin of the name. Yeah, but also the same thing goes for, for Sidorim. If you see one that says Nusach Ashkenaz, then mm-hmm. it's, it's not Ashkenazi. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's just, it's a quirk of history. And I think we've reached, like, point L at this point <laughs> on our way <laughs> on our way from point A to point B. That is true. One of the things, though, about Tu B'Shvat I found very interesting in doing the bit of research for this episode is, well, not that there was a debate between Hillel and Shammai, but what the debate was over. Huh. So, I mean, there's always a debate between Hillel and Shammai. <laughs> Exactly. That's why I'm not surprised. If it was a debate, I'd be more shocked. Exactly. And so, again, I guess for anybody who doesn't know, Hillel is probably the most famous Jewish scholar in history. And he was a member of the Great Sanhedrin in the end of basically um, 2,000 years ago. I have an argument for most famous rabbi in history. Who else? Rashi is pl- pretty high up there. I mean, yes, I was. Maimonides. Rashi, yes, 
But if you were going to make a short list, it's going to be basically the you can't have a short list without Hillel on it. No, you can't have a Hillel without uh, uh, you can't have a Hillel. You can't have a short list without Hillel on it. But I feel like uh, we got to give Maimonides especially and Rashi their due. Oh, absolutely, because they are also incredibly influential and rightfully so. I'm actually trying to listen to a guide to the a guide for the perplexed. Oh, I got about five pages in. At some point when I was in high school and decided I, I couldn't do it. Oh, I, I tried reading it. The audiobook is slightly better, but the narrator is horrible. Yeah. Really interesting historical figure. Maimonides traveled throughout a bunch of different areas. And he lived in Spain. He lived in Egypt. He lived in Morocco, I think. He, so he was born in Spain. His family pretended to convert to Islam under the caliphates then lived in Morocco, then moved to Egypt. Actually, then moved to Israel and then to Egypt. But when they were in Israel, they, of course, pronounced their false conversion because they could freely be Jewish in Israel at the time. Yeah, but, like, super interesting historical figure. Doctor. Jewish figure and historical figure. Doctor, he was the jo- doctor to, to the, like, a king. Saladin. Yeah. And Richard the Lionheart asked him, to come back to England with him and be his court doctor. Yeah. So super prominent, super interesting historical figure would recommend checking out a biography of his just because it's just, it's wild. Yeah. I will link to a good video, but it obviously barely touches the surface of his life. I'll link to a good video of Jewish history that I've linked to the channel in the past. I'll link that in the show notes as well. Sweet. Thanks. Um, Okay, back to Tubishvat. Back to Tubishvat. Back to Hillel. Because okay. so the thing Hillel is probably most known for is his outside of Jewish circles is his golden rule: that which is harmful to you, do not do unto others. Be kind, basically. Um, Be kind to your friend on the street. Okay, I'm, I'll link. I'll, I'll send Evan a link to a song that I learned as a kid. Um, That's going to be stuck in your head forever. So another historical thing, and this is somewhat relevant, there is a significant amount of theory, and probably not unwarranted, that Jesus, or the person who the uh, character of Jesus is based on, was a student in Beit Hillel. I thought Hillel was a little bit later than that. Hillel died in 4 CE. Oh. Or 4 to 6 CE. Okay, I Hillel thought... the younger was three hundred years later, and he's oh. the one who he's the one who fi- who finalized the Jewish calendar so it's fixed as opposed to being watching based on observation. Yeah. Hey Evan, have you seen the full moon recently, or the new uh, moon recently, or not seen the new moon recently? Yeah, I've not seen the new moon recently. Well, I would not. Pot, be able... Which is the threat state? Well, also tonight would be the full moon, which mm-hmm. is, I mean. We would know it's. Uh, That's why I said I've not seen it recently. It's too bishvat, and I definitely can't see it because it is cloudy and snowing. <laughs> it's a little overcast here, but theoretically, you don't see the new moon. You don't see the new moon. I definitely have not seen the new moon. <laughs> I haven't seen the full moon either. Um. um uh, but so, anyways. Yes. Shemai was yes. the so Beit Hillel, House of Hillel. It was the. sort of a mix between a school and a political party in the political organization of the time in the 
governing organization of the time and what it was under Roman occupation. Um, where, and the biggest opponent group was the Beit Shammai, under Shammai, another leader. Calling them rabbis is not quite accurate, but effectively. The term didn't really exist back then. It's the history of, of rabbinic Judaism is an interesting one, one that we'll probably get into another time. Correct. It, it, the history, the, but in short, rabbinic Judaism started as a reaction to the loss of the temple. Yeah. In 70 CE. But so in general, unsurprisingly with his golden rule, Hillel is always about how your actions affect things and being as kind and compassionate as possible. Shammai is a more legalistic is probably the best term in Eng- best summary in English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's- but there, it's like that is a absurd simplification yeah their their relationship is the topic of a lot of discussion they were very good friends Mm -hmm. supposedly and like their debates were legendary their discussions were legendary now i mean now it's it's the annals of history but really they're still discussed Yes, they are still discussed and still studied and just complex historical figures, as as they all are. And absolutely. Though, in almost all cases, we go with Hillel's option. With rare exceptions, we almost with always go with Hillel. But, so, and we do in this case as well. Yeah. Do you know what Shammai's uh, thought on Tubishvat was? No. Well, it wouldn't be Tubishvat if we went with Shammai. Shammai thought... For the new year for the trees should be on the first of Shvat. So it would be Aleph Bishvat. Aleph Bishvat. Well, well, we um, definitely do not follow that one. <laughs> Given the name of this episode and the holiday, we do not follow it. Yeah. Well, also, by the time this uh, this goes cool. up, the Tubishvat uh, will have passed. But Correct. we hope you... recording on Tubishvat. Yeah. In retrospect, had a good one. Stay warm. Yes. Stay cozy. So I one thing I was thinking about back while doing prepping for this episode, I never, as I said, I've never done a Tubishvat Seder. The only time I can ever recall actually celebrating anything for Tubishvat is in fourth or fifth grade, my Jewish day school planted a tree. And it was one of the coldest times it had been at that time of year. That sounds about right. I have I have done a couple of Tubishvat Seders. I did one in Chicago in the winter. Shout out to Rabbi Brandon for leading us on the first one I'd ever been to, which was lovely. And he walked us, we're sitting there drinking this like mixed grape juice. Like this is not the best thing ever. But anyways, in addition to the, to the different grape juices, there's also three categories of fruits or nuts. So you have the wine that goes from white to red to represent the seasons. And then you have three categories of fruits that have to do with, I guess, the person's relationship to the fruits. So you mm-hmm. have the three categories of fruits are ones with an inedible outer covering and an edible inside. So this would be like a melon or a pomegranate or a, a banana, citrus. You have edible outsides, but inedible insides. So that would be like a pit. 
So, like, you can't eat a plum pit or a peach or a avocado. Stone fruit. Avocado a what? Does stone fruit, basically. Yeah, pretty avocado much. Avocado does count. So. Yeah, stone fruits in general. So, that would be edible outside, inedible pit inside, and then you have ones that are totally edible. So, this would be, like, a fig or any type of berry. Yeah, or berry. An, I guess apples would probably fall under this category. I am not sure. I feel Ask like it fits this one more than anything else. I don't it know would that fit that one best, but it, but there are still inedible parts of the apple. Or at least unpleasant parts of the apple. Whereas yeah. something like a um, fig or a berry doesn't really bit. have that. Yeah. At least shouldn't have that. Grapes. Grapes are a good one. Grapes are a good one, yeah. Yeah. So those are the three categories. I think of it as the wine kind of represents how the plants feel and the the seasons to the plants and the fruits have to do with like our relationship to them. That's right. The one um, one other fruit that frequently gets eaten, especially in Hasidic circles, and this is something where people can homebrew or can ferment at home if they want. You've just got to be prepared in a few months. People, your etrog. Yeah. Just a heads up on etrogame, though. So, etrogame are, in the U.S., according to the FDA, mm-hmm. considered ornamental and not treated as edible plants. So, while some people do eat them, um, it's really not recommended because they dump all sorts of pesticides on there. I, I've had etrog liqueur before. Um, okay. I've, like, I've handled them before and... I, I didn't know. I found out this this out relatively recently. Um, that you're not supposed to do it unless you like know where yours is coming from, or you get I don't know an organic etrog. Uh, they're heavily treated with pesticides, and they do not have to be strictly uh, food grade. Interesting. Yeah. So I be careful about where you get your etrogame from if you're going to brew with them. Absolutely. Be careful about your ingredients in general. Yeah. One that I was told also recently is uh, with oranges, Mm -hmm. if you're going to zest it, you should be using organic oranges because non-organic oranges, the peels are often artificially ripened and it's not necessarily the best thing for you. Yeah, And wash them as well, just generally. Oh, always. You should always be washing your fruit. Unless it came out of your own garden and you know nobody's spraying anywhere near you, wash your fruit. Just wash your fruit anyway. Yeah. Like, unless you have very good control about the animals outside, wash your fruit. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have your own little greenhouse or something like that. Yeah, but what if the squirrel gets in? That's true. Okay, just wash your fruit. Just wash your dang fruit. Just wash your fruit. Wash your produce in general. It's a good idea. Of course, yeah. presuming you have clean water. We can argue mushrooms another time. Yes, that, that's a different issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wash my mushrooms. I know that's a controversial take, but I do wash my mushrooms. You yeah, know, I I tend to agree with you, unless you're unless you're also peeling them, in which case that's a different issue. I don't think I've ever peeled a mushroom. Some people do. That's also an interesting take. It depends on the style of mushroom as well. That's true. But so I, if you're I'm peeling peeled. your mushroom, washing them is kind of pointless because you're removing everything you're washing. Yeah. But if you're not peeling it, wash them. I would wash it. Yeah. Okay. I well, think anyways, we're on about I... point Y now. What? I think we're on about point Y. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyways, back to the Tuvi Schwarzeder. <laughs> Before my power goes out, which I would just like to be, uh, be clear here. I do not know if the power is going to go out. I do know that un if your power lines are not buried, then you should be worried when you have snow and rain and colder nights because there is high probability of freezing. You're going to have icy roads. You're going to have icy sidewalks. Just, you know, stay safe out there, folks, especially mm -hmm. if you live in a place where people do not have things like snow tires or snow chains or salt. Yeah, the, the snow tires make a huge difference for anyone who has not tried them. Yeah, I have. I do not have them. Anyways, to be spectator. <laughs> okay, so you have the wine, the four different types of wine, or the mm -hmm. two types of wine that you like blend a little bit and suffer through. You have the three different types of fruit. And then on top of that, people tend to pick readings and have discussions Um that relate to uh, nature and trees and the environment and our relationship with trees and the environment. I went to a Tubi Schwarzseder that was heavily focused on environmental issues. And I think that's pretty common at this mm -hmm. point where people will talk about, about, you know, climate change and all sorts yeah. of things like that. The connection between Tubi Schwarz and Earth Day is very common. Yes. So, I think at least other than the, the food traditions, it's very much a do what you want with it kind of thing. You can, mm -hmm. you can do all sorts of lovely things with it. And I've, I've, I've only been to a, a, a handful of Tuvishwazir. I think I've been to three of them, but they were all very different. It's possible I went to one when I was younger that I just don't remember. I know of three that I remember <laughs> and they were all lovely and very different. And you can really, you can do what you want with this one. And, and, find meaning in in the things that move you mm -hmm. take meaning in the things that move you so that's the seder yeah what else is there about to be spot i think sure. we've covered out most of it or at least everything pretty much everything i know i mean we've talked a lot in the past about how there's a lot of agricultural stuff in judaism connection to the land especially in israel and to is just yet another instance of that though so should be one of the better known and for a lot of less observant Jews it is not as well known as it could be yeah and I think one of the really nice things about this one is we have a lot of very like we have religious holidays in Judaism that are, are very focused on I guess the religious aspects of Judaism as an ethno-religion Mm -hmm. And then we have other holidays that, like, in today's society, and as I would say, fairly, like, we're pretty as assimilated isn't really the word I want to use. I want, I guess, integrated community. We don't talk about holidays like Shavuot. We don't talk about or, or Sukkot as, as harvest festivals, as, as agricultural festivals very much. But I do think that there is a lot of space for holidays for to be shvat and for and for the Jewish harvest festivals to be really good to, uh, sources of discussion and meaning for people who are maybe not as interested in the religious aspects of Judaism. I would agree. That's something else. That's something to add, but I don't recall now. 
at least not without going through two tangents. Well, if it does come up, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I hope everybody had a lovely tubish fat. And if you are celebrating it at a later date, then I wish you a lovely upcoming tubish fat. We didn't talk much about brewing. We didn't really talk anything about brewing this episode, but she brewed, he brewed, and now it's time for you to brew. Chag Sameach, everyone. Chag Sameach. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of She Brews, He Brews, a Jewish fermenting podcast brought to you by myself, Evan Harris, and Allison Shea. This podcast was edited by Evan Harris and is produced by Evan Harris and Allison Shea. As always, you can find the podcast along with our show notes and full podcast transcripts uh, on our website, as well as you can find the podcast on Instagram at Jewish Fermentation Podcast. Please remember to drink responsibly and thank you for listening.